0: With Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Ball loose. Give me one. For three, give me it. one Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly, and hits again! Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Pooch with another one! Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes! Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go go! Job. Oh, what a move by
1: Heald. He lays it in. Healed. Hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster.
2: Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again.
0: Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning is Brissett, pounds it all. It's it to Taylor. It's Taylor missed it. it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren! Halliburton gonna slam it at
1: the other end. All right, everybody, we are back for part two of the Mailbag podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day. Gonna jump right into it here with a question from the great one, Matt Peck. Thank you, Matt, for hooking me up with the tickets again for the Thunder game. Matt, you are a real hero. So just gotta give you a shout out and thank you for letting me meet Clay Bennett, the owner of the Oklahoma City Thunder. That could have been you, Matt, but it was me instead. So. Uh, humble brag there. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, realistically, how long till the Pacers are actually at least contenders for the Eastern Conference Finals, and what are the pieces they need to get there?
2: Oh, man, I'd love to break this down for a science, you know, and just tell you, here. This is this a date, whole
1: podcast question, literally, Matt,
2: Literally, like, I, I can't give you a real date or year, but what I will say is the Pacers struck gold in landing Tyrese Halliburton. A true franchise point guard, I think, is the hardest thing to find in basketball. I love the pieces of Isaiah Jackson, Chris Duarte, but you got to nail this top five pick. You have to do it. If you don't, then the Patriots are in trouble. If they develop us, if they get a star from over here, it's going to speed up the process. That goes without saying. But then you wonder, Brogdon, Turner, Warren, are these guys even on the roster next year? Not really sure. You imagine probably two out of three of them are, but I see us competing for a play-in spot next year Maybe, you know, maybe they're in the running for like the eighth seed, but probably playing. And then after that, we're more of a playoff team. Eastern Conference Finals, it's going to be a while. All
1: right. So I'm going to say for us to be Eastern Conference Finals contenders, it's going to be five years from now. I agree with that. Just booking that because at that point, Tyrese Halliburton will be 26 years old. You'll have had the rookie get drafted for a while. Um, But you just never know. You got to catch the right breaks. I mean, look at what Atlanta did last year got all the way to the conference finals and now they're like 10th in the Eastern conference. So, you know, it's one of those things where it just depends on who you play and if you get lucky, because look, New York, they seem to be like a one and done kind of thing here with how good they uh, were last season. And it it looks like the Hawks caught a break there, playing them and then playing, I believe it was the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. They took down and then they lost to the Bucks in the Eastern conference finals. But, you know, Trey Young, he was only in the, league for three years before he got to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think that's something to look at, but in terms of what they need to get there, oh man, they've got a long way to go. I mean, it's hard to look at this roster now and figure out what they need, but you're going to need a dynamic wing that can defend some of the better players in the league. You're going to need an elite rim protector. Um, I think that that could be Miles Turner if he's still here because he is an elite level rim protector. So I'm um, at the right contract. I'm fine with him, but I think you're going to need a lot of good pieces to go around him to carry the offensive load and potentially the defensive load. Like Halliburton can become one of the better guards in the Eastern Conference. I don't have any fear about that, but he's going to need some guys around him that um, can just play good defense and knock down shots. And you hope Chris Duarte can become that guy. But, um, you know, after this year, I think that he's got some work to do. But other than that, Fachi, I just, you know, they're going to have to go out and make some trades and, and get lucky in the draft and hit on some guys
2: here. There is so much work to be done. So, I mean, getting back to the playoffs, would probably be a shorter term question. Hey, when can we, you know, not be a play-in team? I think that could be like, hey, maybe that's two years from now. Who knows? Well, we'll have to wait and see, but a lot of work is to be done. Moving over to our next question, we have Tim Loudly. From my understanding, this is a a first-time question asker. So, uh, Tim, hit us with a four-parter. Tim, we appreciate you. You know, hopefully moving forward, maybe, you know, keep it a one. But uh, we definitely appreciate you uh, hopping in here. Uh, Question number one, he said, what ways is Tyrese actively looking for his shot more or calling his own number?
1: I would say that he's not. (laughs) Yeah. Not right now, anyway. I think he's still kind of a passive guy. He's just trying to make the right play. And sometimes that's okay, but you know, I I mean, I talked about it in part, part one, excuse me, where you just really need him to be a little bit more aggressive. So I think once he gets a little bit better of a of a screener, I think Turner could be that guy. Uh, It doesn't have to be like the level Sabonis is, but there's just really no screen setting on this team right now. It's not very good. Goga's probably the best screen setter out of the guys that are available with Turner out, and he played one minute. So. They're doing more of the slipping and not the actual screening with um, Isaiah Jackson because of his lob threat ability. So I think that's one way they could get better is just like getting him cleaner looks through getting a better pick and roll partner, watching
2: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a great point. I mean, you're missing out on those screens that, you know, Sabonis was setting for a lot of guys, but. I'm not sure. if Maybe it's more of a second half thing where he feels the need to be like, OK, I need to get some shots up because getting off to a bit of a slow start. But he's obviously someone that he lets the game come to him. I mean, when he's taking shots, it's more of like, hey, this is a wide open three or he's finishing a layup in transition. He's not really forcing things. So I think that he does need to call his number a little bit more. But for question number two for Tim, he said, how can the offense generate more looks for him like that he'd like to see implemented?
1: How can the I offense? You, yeah, I mean, kind of the same way.
2: Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Alex said basically setting more screens. I think that's completely true. To be a little bit different, I think that I know Carlisle frowns on the, on the mid range, but I think that Tyrese Halliburton can be someone who's got a really good mid range jumper. So all depends yeah. if Carlisle's really going to give him the green light to shoot it.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you, Fachi. Um Question number
2: three. Yeah. What yeah. offensive abilities aren't in his utility belt currently that he'd like to spend time cultivating?
1: Yeah, I think i really like to see him work on getting to the free throw line, being a little bit more um, – not afraid, but more aggressive in terms of looking to get get some contact at the rim. I think there's times where he just kind of like doesn't go all the way in or picks his dribble up too soon. So, you know, maybe getting a little bit better floater in the paint, maybe just being able to create some contact and get to the free throw line, that would be something I would like to see him do a little bit better. Um Step backs, you know, I really don't care about step back threes that much. Um, he's got a great side step three that he shoots a lot um, that has worked on quite a bit. He's got a funky, funky shot release, but hey, it goes in at a pretty efficient rate. So I don't really care. I just would like to see him continue to grow as a, as a finisher around the rim.
2: Yeah, finishing around the rim is definitely something that I had in mind. Like, Look, I'm not asking for him to be like tomahawk dunking it. No, I don't need that. But it's like, can you get in the paint a little bit more? Because we do need our, our point guard getting to the line a bit more. Uh, I think that he's always, you know, also one thing he could do is get to the the paint a little bit more and then dish it out. We've definitely seen that. Um, But also, look, it's not as common, but if he could develop kind of a post-up game for a little bit for either for mismatches where he's got smaller guards on there, something like that I think could be great. Um, But other than that, it's, you know, I I think he's going at a great rate just his second year in the NBA. He's still young and uh, he's got a lot going for him. But for question number four, Final one, uh, Tyrese tends to, I don't know, this faint help defense at times uh, when someone is attacking, but doesn't actually commit. He also sometimes lets a player go by, assuming that someone on the back end will help recover. How does he plan on improving his help defense in this regard?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think you're going to probably have to watch some tape and just kind of see which ways it can be better. I think there's a lot of it is this miscommunication with being on a new team with new players. That's a big part of it. Um, thinking that, hey, we're playing this kind of a defense, so-and-so should be there to switch. They don't switch or you're you're playing uh, where you go under the screen and, and fight through it and that kind of stuff. So it really just depends on what kind of scheme they're playing, if they're playing a zone. So honestly, for me, I think it's just going to take some chemistry with the current core that is out there on the floor learning the terminology that Carlisle and Lloyd Pierce are using in terms of what they're calling out and what they're doing defensively. But also I think it's just going to be him having to just pretty much push through and be that leader on both ends of the floor. I think that's one thing that the Pacers really miss with miles defensively is just how actively he is in terms of our vocal. He is on the defensive side of the floor because I, I remember vividly like the mics picking up like him tell, telling people where to watch their back or screen coming left and that kind of thing. So, if he has Turner behind him, one, it's going to help obviously having that rib protector back there, but also um, with Turner kind of guiding him, trying to help him, let him know where things are coming. That will definitely be a factor.
2: Yeah, I mean, chemistry. Long story short, just like you mentioned, he's barely played with these guys. He's played a handful of games with the Pacers, and then only a handful of minutes necessarily with Malcolm Brogdon, Isaiah Jackson. Like, the, there's there's a lot of stuff going on that it takes time. Being more vocal, just like you said. I mean, if he's the guy that's shouting things out right over there, others will follow. So, you know, we, we heard the other episode ago. I can't remember who it was. I don't don't think it was Matt Peck. It was someone basically saying that they went to a game and it was, it was pretty silent over there. So it was an email. So it wasn't Matt Peck, but someone was saying, I didn't hear anyone calling out anything. So being vocal is the easiest way to, you know, have people understand their assignments. So I look forward to uh, to seeing that as the year goes on.
1: Yeah. And I will say I did watch just, Carlisle did call some plays in the last game uh, when I was watching the Thunder game, because I was trying to pay attention to that to a certain degree, but At the same time, I think that Carlisle is just kind of letting them play a little free where they're just in a base set and it's kind of like just read and react, kind of feel, get a feel for it instead of like calling set plays all the time. But they did call some set plays here and there and they got some good looks off of it. So I I think maybe that was an anomaly with them just not talking as much because, um, you know, I think Tyrese talked about it on the JJ Reddick podcast, like just not knowing the terminology very well and him and Buddy being like, oh, we called it this in Sacramento or whatever, you know, just trying to figure out uh, what they were actually doing so that might have been why Carlisle didn't say as much just trying to keep it incredibly simple but um, let's move on to our next question this comes from Destin Adams good friend of the show he said what are some player comp ceilings you would give for any member on the Pacers under 25 pick to each this was honestly a tough one because
2: there's no one's ever going to agree on fully everything when it comes to player comp when you're talking about their ceilings so I don't know how great i am at this but for chris duarte if his ceiling could be like a devin booker that would be unbelievable if he could be 80 to 85 percent of devin booker that would be amazing um then also maybe more of a realistic cj McCollum. i think McCollum is, is someone who's not an all-star but a really good player so i, I think that that over there I, I could see that maybe one's like a you know hey in the best case scenario there's devin booker the other one's like CJ McCollum could be realistic. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, I'm going to go with for my second guy. Super tough. While I would love to say Chris Paul, but it's like how many guys can you really compare to arguably the best point guard of our generation, Chris Paul. Um, so I went with Utah Jazz, Darren Williams. Now, Halliburton's bigger. He's taller and longer. He's 6'5". Darren Williams was 6'3". But, guys, you, you got to remember Darren Williams, when he was a member of the Jazz, was an absolute stud. He was a three-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, averaged 17 points per game and 9.1 assists on 46% shooting as a member of the Jazz. Hal Burton is a much better three-point shooter than Darren Williams was. But through his first two seasons, averaging 13.8 points per game and 6.8 assists. So he still got a while to go, but Darren Williams was a really good player. Hal Burton, taller, longer, uh, better shooter. I would love if we can get up to that D will area.
1: Yeah. So I figured those are going to be the two you pick. So I tried to go with two different ones. Um, my first one I went with was Jalen Smith. Um, I-, I thought about going with Terry Taylor, but it's so hard to predict what he's going to be because I just, it's hard to find guys it that are is. short like that. So I went with Jalen Smith and I went Serge Ibaka. Um, I feel like, you know, Serge had a really good role on a good team. Um, could protect the rim could shoot from three had a nice little post game I I see all that in Jalen Smith right now Um, so I feel like that's a pretty fair one Um, and then I'm with Isaiah Jackson and this was a really tough one for me because I don't think we've seen a player in the NBA that can really be such a lob threat and and be a good rim protector that can also step out and shoot three at a high level um we haven't really seen that from Isaiah Jackson yet so I uh Wow, he's a little bit small right now to be compared to this player it's the only one I could go with and that's Tyson Chandler a mm-hmm. former uh, Dallas Maverick and a really good player out of high school as well uh, oh, yeah. you know when he came into the Chicago uh, starting center there like he was raw but there was like a lot of potential for him and he bounced around the league a little bit and finally found his spot but I just think Tyson Chandler was a good overall veteran player I don't think he was ever a star but he was you know a quality center. And I think that's kind of who Isaiah Jackson is. I don't see star potential on Isaiah Jackson, but I do see someone that could be like that. Like, you know, like you want to think of someone that can like just throw down like Sean Kemp or something like that, but it's just like, that's unrealistic. So I'm trying to keep it as realistic as possible, but this is a hard exercise right now. Maybe we can revisit this in the off season,
2: I would definitely like to revisit when we have a larger sample size, What I will say about Isaiah Jackson compared to uh, Tyson Chandler is I think that Isaiah Jackson is further along offensively. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, exactly.
1: Like, it's more so just about grabbing, uh, grabbing lobs and protecting the rim. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it was hard to come up with someone uh comparison for isaiah jackson like i pulled up uh espn i went through like years ago of, like, let me see like some players i went through stats and i was like man i just can't find someone that is like like him but hey we, we need more more time to be determined but look you know if if our players that we mentioned end up becoming some of those guys we're, we're going to be in a great spot so i'm excited
1: yeah, uh, you got the next question.
2: Yep, next question from Chuck and Jamie. Uh, fake three-way trade. Phoenix gets Miles Bridges, Chris Duarte, and Miles Turner. Charlotte gets DeAndre Ayton, Landry Schmidt, and a 2023 Indiana second-round pick coming from the Spurs. Uh, Indiana gets – uh what was it? Uh, Mikael, Mikael Bridges. Uh, Mikael Bridges and a 2023 Phoenix lottery protected first. So uh, it said the Suns may not want to deconstruct their roster this much, but if they don't want to pay Ayton – thoughts.
1: Yeah. So there was a lot of conversation about this trade on social media. I actually had to jump in and was like, Hey guys, like, let's just like calm down. Like you might not agree with this trade or why you think it's really unrealistic, but look, um, you know, I, I think with Mikael Bridges and a 2023 Phoenix lottery protected first, I don't see the Suns doing this deal. Uh, you know, Chris Duarte is a really good player, but what they have with Bridges in that group, I think Bridges is too important to their core. in my personal opinion, I understand In this deal, I believe they'd be getting Miles, Bridges, Duarte, and Turner. So, you know, that's a pretty good return for what they're giving up. So I could see them, like, being semi-intrigued by it. But I also think, you know, like Chuck and Jamie said, deconstructing this this roster that has a chance to win the NBA Finals after winning the NBA Finals would be very unlikely, especially knowing that Turner is going to be up for free agency. And and then you're basically just looking at Duarte and Bridges compared to paying Aiden and keeping Mikael Bridges like, chemistry matters i think people forget about that sometimes like you look at a team on paper you're like well they should be much better but mikhail bridges is potentially a defensive player of the year like that's how good i view mikhail bridges as an overall player so if i get him on indiana like dude i'm, I'm all in for it especially getting a lot of protected first round pick especially if you don't think Turner is going to be here long term and then you get basically that for chris duarte uh that's a really nice deal for the pacers um Charlotte, I think that's intriguing for them as well. Uh, The Bridges for Aiton side of it, uh, just because it's a unique situation where they need some help at the center position. But yeah, I just, I think this trade is probably turned down by Phoenix more than anybody just because they they really have something special there with what Bridges does next to Cam Johnson, next to Devin Booker, next to Chris Paul, Jay Crowder. I just think Bridges is kind of like the glue to that core that people don't talk about enough.
2: That's a good point. Look, uh, Bridges for sure, Mikel Bridges, uh, is a stud defender, no doubt. He'd even shoot the three ball well. Um, He would obviously be a major boost defensively for the Pacers. And also, I think that Mikel Bridges could take on a a bigger role when you don't have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton there. One thing I like about Mikel Bridges, he's freshly signed. A four-year, $90 million deal was agreed upon before the season, and -hmm. that, that starts next year. So that's very intriguing. My debate is, uh, you know, look, I I hate the idea of trading Duarte before we really let him blossom. But then for Phoenix, it gets a little complicated here. So they believe they couldn't pay DeAndre, but could you pay Miles Bridges? I don't know if you can at that point. Uh, exactly. (laughs) You know, so I don't think it would work out for them. I think it would get too messy. They'd probably have to start, you know, making some other moves. And then for Charlotte, if you couldn't pay Miles Bridges, could you pay DeAndre Ayton? I don't think you can do that either. So they would have to probably find someone to take Gordon Hayward. So overall, I don't think the deal happens. It's a, definitely a fun deal to talk about. A lot of moving parts over here, but I, I think that there's a couple teams that probably don't end up being able to agree on this deal. I think if Charlotte could make it work salary-wise, they would love Ayton. I, I think for the Pacers, it's not it's not a bad trade at all. I mean, you're getting some three-point, you know, not you're getting bridges. And then Mikael Bridges—it's crazy when you have two bridges in there. So you gotta gotta state that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, you know, there's there's some good stuff. That 2023 Phoenix lottery protected first, like it's not really that much. But man, I just I hate the idea of giving up Chris Duarte this early on in his career when I feel like he's just getting started.
1: Well, let me just put it see where I think you might like a little bit more. Chris Duarte will be 25 at the start of next season. Um, Mikael Bridges will turn 26 by next season. So okay. he's only one year older than Chris Duarte. And I think he's a much better player right now than Chris Duarte. Like no offense to Duarte. He's obviously got some work to do, but just all the experience that Bridges will have, you know, gotten finals experience. That's what I'm saying. And in the finals, guarding Giannis at certain points, guarding Middleton, playing with Chris Paul, playing with Devin Booker, playing with a lot of veterans that have had a lot of great NBA success. Bringing a guy like that over here would be very intriguing. And look, like I said, he's only one year older. Chris Duarte. Now I will say this. I don't think Bridges is a great shooter off the dribble. I think he's a better catch and shoot kind of player. And I think that's something that you would like to see from him improve a little bit is just like being able to attack the basket more, be that wing player. Because look, Duarte has shown flashes of being a really good bursty scorer. So I get why you're like, I don't want to trade Mm -hmm. Duarte part of our future. But you know, I think this is an intriguing trade, but at the end of the day, for me, Whereas people might say this is a slam dunk trade for for Phoenix, I would say it's not, <laughs> um, just because I think chemistry overall is the most important thing that people overlook constantly on 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 in terms of team building.
2: No, it's absolutely true. I mean, look, Phoenix—they are rolling right now. I, I, they might have like two losses in their last like twenty games. They're coming off of a finals run. We saw how they finished in the bubble. They clearly have something special going on, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, if there are any of those fun deals out there, but for Phoenix, they probably hold tight,
1: yeah, for sure. So let's move on to our next question. This comes from Block uh, on, on Twitter. They said, Where do you guys see yourself in five years? How do you anticipate uh, evolving into a structured but flexible format?
2: I, uh, Block, I assume you're, you're talking about the show. Um, I believe <laughs> Alex and I started the show and like. October 2018, I I believe, Um, and to be honest, I think we've grown way more than we ever imagined. I think we just kind of thought like, yeah, we'd have some fun, do two shows a week, and then I remember like our our first player interview was David Harrison, you know, hey, you know, I remember that was like, I remember being so excited, like, we got David Harrison, people were like, who? I was like, well, you, you know, you had to be there, you know, former Pacer, but then we've ended up branching that out into just so many awesome guests, so I just hope that, we, we try and stay as consistent as possible with our segments, be as interactive as possible with you guys, because you guys honestly shape the show. And when I feel like we have you guys on the show, I feel closer to our listeners. So it makes the questions a bit more fun. So I would just say, just keep being consistent.
1: Yeah, I see ourselves in five years. I would love for our show to be one of the most listens to Pacers podcast out there, for sure, because of the consistency, like you said, Fachi. But I would love to just continue to grow and meet new fans of the team, yep. because We know with the draft pick this year with Halliburton coming on, you're going to have some young fans that might be just casual NBA fans in Indiana that are going to fall in love with the Pacers. And they're going to want to hear about it because podcasts are a really cool thing. Um, now that'll be interesting to see where we go from, um, you know, the next five years, how popular are podcasts in five years, you know, who would have thought like, what's the next big thing that's coming out. So, um, whatever we have to do to continue the Pacers content, I think we'll do it because we just love it. But with that being said, I, um, I just think that I want to see this continue to grow, continues to interact with more people. And, you know, I would love to meet more of the people that listen to our show in person just to kind of get that personal relationship. It's, uh, it's been incredible doing our fan of the week segments where we're able to actually sit down, talk with these fans and get to know their backstory a little bit and just make that face to face connection. Because um, it goes a long way when you can put a name to a face and a voice to a face. And, and just be able to realize, hey, these are real life people, not just human Twitter avatars that we talk to uh, throughout the throughout the year.
2: No doubt it makes it feel like listeners are becoming friends. And at that point, you know that's when it's just awesome. That's when Pacer Nation just feels like a little bit of a closer knit community right there.
1: Yeah, for sure Fachi.
2: Next question we have Matt Beckham said. Simple question, Ivy or sharp.
1: Man, that's a tough one. I'm just kidding. Jay J- J- Knight, come on, yeah. stop playing.
2: Yeah, look, ah, man, ah, I think for me it's a little bit tougher. That mystery box, I'm telling you, man, there, there could be like a like a stick of gum in there, and maybe I, I passed on a thousand dollars. But that mystery box gets me each time. I'm leaning Ivy for sure.
1: Look, you, need, like, you
2: need to go on Let's Make a Deal, Fauci. I, I do. I do. <laughs> you know, I, I truly have to. But, look, I'm a sucker for the mystery box. Shane Sharp could truly be a star in the making. Guys, look, it's easy to be sour on him when no one's seen him play collegiate basketball. But when you're telling me that this would be the top guy in 2023, it's hard to pass up. But the combination of Jaden Ivey being a really, really talented guard who's also playing at Purdue, it feels like the perfect fit for what we hoped the Depot situation would be. So, yeah. you know, for right now, I'm saying Ivy, if maybe when the combine comes around and if Shaden sharp is really, really, really impressing a lot of people, that could be a different story.
1: Yeah. Let's go ahead and take a quick break and we will answer the rest of our questions right after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, we are back, and this one comes from a Lance Stevenson burner account. So uh, it says Lance Stevenson. I'm sure it's obviously not the Lance Stevenson, so that's why I put burner in there. But great question here. He said, assuming we keep Warren and Turner for a longer period and we draft another forward or draft Ivy and move Duarte to the three, that would make our, uh, that would make our starting five. What do you think we should trade Brogdon and Hill for? Cap space, picks, or bench players?
2: Honestly, I'm starting to enjoy Buddy Heald. I was always like, I always had a soft spot for Buddy. We actually talked for the last couple of years of being like, what about Buddy Heald? But then, like, we kind of soured on him a little bit. But I think that he could be a really, really good six man because he's been one before. But we also need the three point shooting. But for Brogdon, honestly, I'd love to trade Brogdon for a first if we could and a rotational player. Like, could you get some wing depth, like someone that could be contributing on a nightly basis? I, I don't. I think that I'm not as highly on, I'm not as high on Brogdon's trade return value, I think, as you are. I think the three years on his deal for someone who's always hurt, I think, is a little scary. So uh, if we can get some draft picks, like a first round pick and a rotational player for Brogdon, I'm in, even if that pick is like 20th overall.
1: Yeah, I just think that there's going to be a team out there that, can talk themselves into Brogdon similar to what the Pacers did because like, look, when he's healthy, he's not a bad player. I I just think fans have kind of grown tired of him because he's been kind of known as a coach killer, whether that's fair or not. I mean, that's up for debate. I'm not going to sit here and say that he is. I'm not saying that I agree with that, but that's kind of been what I've heard from multiple different sources uh, that talk about him in terms of like guys that cover the league. So it, it seems like Brogdon can be a bit of a problem, but at the same time, Rick Carlisle after the game on Friday was like, I love him, you know, I love him as a player. So it's like, okay, what does that mean? Like, do you really love him? or Are you just saying that to get his stock higher? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what exactly it is. I mean, obviously you could trade Brogdon and Heald. You can get something back. But, um, you know, at the same time, it's a lot of salary. Those are guys that I think could be really good. I mean, there's a potential you bring the draft pick off the bench and start Brogdon or you put Duarte back on the bench, even though fans might not like it and start Brogdon. Um, uh, you know, I think Hill could be a great sixth man just because of his shooting ability and how well he's played under the Carlisle system. I can see the Pacers kind of wanting to keep him. But yeah, for Brogdon, I really just think, you know, getting cap space and getting a potential first-round pick is probably the way to go. Don't want to see it similar to what Karis Levert's deal was because, you know, that Cleveland pick's not great. But overall, I just I just feel like, with Brogdon, you're not going to probably get back a great player, but potentially a young player with an expiring contract and a potential pick would be the way I'd go about it.
2: Yeah, that would be intriguing. The one thing I want to say about Buddy Heald right now is it's a small sample size. Yes, it is. It's, it's you know, five games as a Pacer. He would be having, if you took his numbers, he'd be having a career year right now. He's averaging over 21 points per game. He, he's shooting, you know, very effectively. I believe it's 48%. He's actually had some big games, like a 36-point game. So there's a lot of potential there. The contract really isn't that bad, but I think that it's something where at some point it could become a valuable contract to trade. I think he's gotten his value solidly up. And I just want to read one quote that um, that Buddy Heald had. Uh, let's see if I still have it. Anyway, he basically just said, um, I don't have the quote in front of me, but basically he said that he, like he's getting his joy restored right now in Indiana. <laughs> Comparative. I mean, look, I, and you heard you heard Hal Burton on J.J. Reddick's show. I think some of the comments are starting to come out a little bit about, you know, Sacramento might not have been the most fun place to play, but those guys kept it as professional as they could, and I, I truly think they're happy now.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I just think it's a totally different style. Um, I wouldn't want to play for Luke Walton. Good grief. I think he's a terrible coach. And then Alvin Gentry, he's proven time and time again that, you know, not, not a bad guy, but just not a great coach either, I, I think. We've seen enough of Alvin Gentry throughout the throughout his NBA coaching career that he's just a good, not great coach, right? Is that fair to say? I don't want to be too yes, critical and not say he's like a bad coach. He's okay, um, average, right? But yeah, it's interesting. And I, I tweeted something out from that podcast, and it got a lot of likes, a lot of attention, a lot of Kings fans getting bitter. And I was kind of disappointed because that was not the tone of voice that Halliburton spoke with, or what I was really trying to imply when he said it, but he just was like, kind of like laughing about Tristan Thompson giving Indiana a farewell, but not giving Sacramento one. Like he just thought it was funny that Tristan did that. Like it was more so just like Tristan made me laugh and it wasn't more like a, Oh, I hate Sacramento. You know, like he loves Sacramento. Like anybody that tries to like turn the narrative to be like, Oh, he's kind of becoming a crybaby." Like there were so many Kings fans in my mentions after I tweeted that. So I just want to say like, I don't think Calaburn's really bitter about it. I think he was just more stunned than anything because he really thought he was going to be the guy that helped save that franchise. But with that being said, they decided that, you know, they couldn't move off Fox and uh, the Pacers wanted Halliburton. They really wanted Sabonis and that's what got it done. But I did, th- I did find it intriguing that he called George's Niang and his agent told him that he might be going to Philadelphia.
2: I was just thinking that I didn't know if you yeah. were going to bring that up, man. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Kings were close to a Simmons deal, you know, that, that we really didn't know about. We know that they had been one of the teams in the running but I'm glad things worked out the way they did because I honestly feel the combination of Halliburton really wanting to be in Sacramento, giving it his all, and not getting that back, and then you have the Pacers coming in really wanting Tyrese Halliburton, I think it's going to pay off for us as that we're the team that showed, hey, we
1: truly
2: believe in you, and I don't think they Mm -hmm. would move Halliburton, you know, unless he wanted to be moved years from now, and I want to say that because, you know, us Pacer fans have been through some
1: stuff. But yeah. I, well, I don't expect it. well, and one thing that he said, too, is like he said, as soon as I saw that trade go through, like I didn't get on, he didn't get on social media. He was like, I, I thought that, that that everybody was going to praise the Kings for finally getting a two time all star. And he's like, bro, people are texting me like, did you see what JJ said about the trade on ESPN? Like, you know, everybody's like clowning the Kings for it. And he said he was shocked that the Kings were getting clowned for it because I got Sabonis, the guy that was way more established in a second year player. So he said that it was a little bit surprising to him how much the Kings got clowned for that trade. But uh, he said, you know, he's like, I just got a lot of shoes to fill, basically. Coming to Indiana, you know, they felt that I was worth trading their two-time All-Star for. So I've got a lot of shoes to fill. And I uh, I kind of enjoyed hearing him say that.
2: Hey, I, I enjoyed it. I do think that those shoes will be filled. All right. Love me yeah. some Sabonis, but at the same point, hey, we did what's best for the franchise. Oh, did you
1: see that pass Sabonis had against the, uh, the Nuggets on the on floor. His own floor? Yep. Exactly. Oh, that was so sick. I was like, how did he? I said, he's over there doing a ball thick on the floor, and Jokic just like trying to guard him while he's on the floor. I'm like, why didn't Jokic just go down there and try to grab the ball? Like, I just. I'm like, what's happening here? But it was actually pretty cool. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling. <laughs> Move on. I know. We both miss him. But yes, yeah, on,
2: on Instagram, Lottie Dottie. He said, Lottie Lottie. do you guys think we should take a shot
1: at Jonathan Isaac? He's tall, lanky, and could be the defensive wing we need. Good question, Lottie Daddy. Ironically enough, before me and Vach started recording this, I was on the Close Up Magic podcast with our good friend Stephen Cameron to talk about the Pacers and the Magic. Double header, And I actually brought up Jonathan Isaac to him. Didn't ask your question specifically, but I said, what's going on with Jonathan Isaac? Where's he been at? Um, they said that he is healthy right now. Basically, they're just trying to get his body ready. Uh, so whenever he does play, he doesn't have as much, uh, is not as prone to injury, if that makes sense, Bocci. So they're trying to strengthen him up a little bit so he'll be stronger. Um, they obviously would much rather see him in that starting lineup than a Mo Bamba. But at the same time, depending on where they get a draft pick at, if they were to get like the number one or number two pick and they got a Jabari Smith or a Paulo Banchero, or they got a Chet Holmgren, is there potential that they move on from Isaac? I say that there could be. Now he said that he thinks that Isaac could be a part of their long-term future. So I think it's uh, it's a big question mark, but uh, I think the one thing that I will always come back to is just the injury stuff. Um, he's been injured quite a bit throughout his career. Don't think the Pacers really should risk too much to go after an injury prone player. But uh, I think I would consider taking a shot on Jonathan Isaac as long as I didn't have to give up any of this year's uh, lottery draft capital. Look,
2: the talent is definitely there for Jonathan Isaac. But being a team that continuously takes chances on injured players, I don't think I can do it. So Isaac, if he doesn't play this year, which he said that he's healthy, maybe he does play, that'll be two full years that he missed. He tore his ACL in the bubble. His contract, $17.4 million per year. It's not bad at all, um, but in my mind, his like production that we saw where he looked – in the bubble, he looked amazing before we got hurt. It's too small of a sample size because it's been a couple of years. So he's got the upside, but he's also made some like questionable comments or just kind of ruffled some feathers at times, and I just don't think that I, we need to go after Jonathan Isaac. The talent's there, but I'm going to pass.
1: Yeah, um, let's move on now to – our last question here on Instagram that comes from a, uh, a familiar fan of the show, Amy Beth Craig. She said, is Michael J. Focci excited to marry Babe, and what is he most looking forward to in married life?
2: For everybody that doesn't know, that is my fiance herself, Amy, <laughs> a.k.a. Babe. Um, look, uh, always great to have Babe drop by. But yes, now look, I'm absolutely jacked up to marry you, Babe. We are under two weeks Away from the wedding and a very, very fun honeymoon planned. Uh, super excited for that for married life. I'm looking forward to getting the house and filling it with some kids.
1: There we go. Look at that. Man, what a great, what a great uh question. I'm glad Amy stopped by. I was laughing last like midnight last night. Happened to be scrolling on Instagram and I see a notification in the comment. And I see Amy Beth Craig. That's <laughs> like, oh, this is great. We gotta get we gonna get Fachi talking about his wedding and stuff. So um, I've been married for like, well, almost three and a half years now. to my wife, Annie, so Fachi, if you ever need any marriage advice, uh, I can help you out a little bit. I've got a little bit more experience in that. Uh, but you've been living with Amy for how long now? A couple of couple years? years. Yep. So you guys have already got some of that stuff that is important to get down before you're married. Um, you know, just learning how to live with each other. That's a big deal. Uh, it you is. Know. I think- yeah,
2: I'll be coming to you for some advice when the time comes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So you guys will be able to continue enjoying your Washington Wizards together. But let's move yeah, right. on to uh, our last question here. You got this one, Fachi?
2: Yes, I do. All right. Uh, through email, Aaron Dickerson said, hey, Alex, it's Aaron.
1: Hey, uh, what's up, Aaron?
2: <laughs> my question is, should the Pacers trade Brogdon this offseason? I think they should. He's injured a lot, and he would be taking minutes away from Duarte.
1: I mean, that's where you have to look at first. It's a great starting point. The injury history is a real thing. Um, is it going to impact Duarte's play overall, potentially? And uh, you know, we, I always keep saying this. I'm sorry if I keep getting kind of like annoying with what I'm saying back, but it really depends on who you draft. I mean, if that if, if you draft a guard, we talked about this with Chuck and Amy. If you if you on our fan pod, part of the podcast on Saturday, if you draft a guard, you have to trade Brogdon. that just there's, the, the backcourt is too crowded right now, and I understand. Duarte can play the three, but it still just seems a lot crowded there for four to five guys, Buddy Hill, Brogdon, uh, Ivy potentially, Chris Duarte, and, of course, Halliburton. That's a lot of guys to get a lot of minutes. It's just like where are you going to find them at? And so that to me is like you got to figure it out. I think they're going to make some trades this offseason. I think what we saw with getting Halliburton was just phase one. I think the draft is going to be phase two. Offseason is going to be phase three, and then we'll see how that team looks after we get done with the offseason. But, yeah, I think this is a really good point. Um, Love Malcolm Brogdon overall. I think that he's a good player. I think he's a little bit underappreciated here in Indiana. But at the same time, I just don't think he's one of his number one is not reliable enough. And two, I don't think the age uh, is a perfect fit here with Halliburton being 21 and Brogdon being 29.
2: Yeah, look, I know it doesn't sound that crazy when he's not in his 30s, but they're, they're going in a different direction, Brogdon and the franchise. And I think that's just the way to sum it up is that, when you're rebuilding, retooling, or whatever word the Pacers front office has for it to make it seem like they're staying competitive, look, it feels tough to watch Brogdon play for 30-plus minutes per night when you want to develop guys like Halliburton, when you want to develop guys like Chris Duarte. And even if you bring in another guard, it just feels like Brogdon's going to become the guy that, like, I don't remember what the exact saying was, but it's like when you live long enough to see yourself go from the hero to the villain. And I remember how excited we were when we got Brogdon to sign and trade. It was like, oh, my God, is this one of the biggest signings the Pacers have ever had? We were hoping for a leader, this, this, and that. Never really, truly materialized at that point. We haven't made the playoffs. We thought that he would be more of a vocal leader. It feels that that's not really his style. We've heard some clashes with the coach. You know, I just feel like at this point, simply put, we're going in a different direction. We can't rely on him, just like you said. And I think the Pacers would be very smart to make a move, even if maybe the value is not there. Obviously, you don't just dump him for physically nothing. But if you can get some cap space relief and a draft pick, hey, move on.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you there, Fachi. So that is the end of our mailbag podcast. And I, I have to ask Focci, uh, going back to the question from longtime listener Amy Craig, what is your guys' wedding hashtag?
2: uh finally fachi
1: finally fachi that's what i was yep. thinking i said it's got to be like finally fachi or fachi's forever or something like that uh all right so uh amy fachi man that's got a nice ring to it it's
2: it's got a, it's got a good ring to it she's
1: already i think taken
2: some of the, the instagram names and emails to you know make sure she she gets that in there so you know that's great but whew, man if that if that wedding hashtag slipped my mind and she heard about it, would not have been good for me. But finally, Fachi. <laughs> I, I have not said it in a while, but yeah, man. Uh, finally, Fachi. We are finally almost there.
1: Yeah. So when's the big date?
2: So March 11th coming up. Uh, you know, real soon. Uh, less than two weeks from when we are recording this right now. So uh, it's going to be very exciting. And then we got a nice honeymoon going to Disneyland in California, as well as uh, going to uh, Hawaii.
1: Oh, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. So uh, Fachi will be out of commission for like two weeks, but have no fear. I will be here holding the show down. And uh, just so you know, if you're curious, Anthony Davis was born on March 11th. So that'll be a great way to remember your anniversary, as well as Johnny Knoxville. So. Well, uh, two,
2: two names that will definitely come to mind every time I celebrate my anniversary.
1: There, there you go, Fachi. All right. So where can the people find us at on social media?
2: All right. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace.
1: And if you're excited to get married to Amy, Beth Craig, Scream these three words.
2: Let's go, patience!